What up everybody, this is Angel and you're listening to Breaking Cycles. Today, I talked to someone I met at my latest job. She moved to Chicago from Minneapolis to continue her education and to live in one of the loudest cities in the Midwest. She walks us through her experience and highlights some of the differences she's noticed in the social services here versus Minneapolis. As a social worker, she's worked at various shelters doing case management for individuals and families. She talks to us about the challenges when working with the homeless population, the different models used to end homelessness, and the fulfillment one gets from serving the community. But with no further ado, here's Annie Benneke. Um, so, like, I just want to start, like, right from the beginning. Um, you know, the show is just kind of pretty much about you and your experiences, so... I wanted to know, and like I'll see if I if I can even pronounce this again, uh, <laughs> how it was growing up in Minneapolis. Like, what do people do there? How is that place? Good job, <laughs> you said it right. <laughs> um, so Minneapolis, I think, is it's really underrated, and I, I think that like people like Minneapolis sees Chicago as like its older sibling. I feel like you know it's really? like the kind of version of it. But a really cool place um and i i really enjoyed growing up there um and in in a lot of ways it's it really is very similar to chicago um i mean it's um i don't know i mean i i think the, the coolest things about minneapolis is um like the like in the summer um it, just like in Chicago, like ev- everybody is outside the whole time. Um, yeah. And there are so many parks in Minneapolis too. It's a really like uh, nature heavy city. So there are a lot of really cool things to do outside. There are like a million lakes, even just inside the city. So that's cool too. That's um, cool. And then the state fair also, I don't know if you've heard about the state fair in Minnesota, but it is, I think it's the second biggest state fair in the country after Texas. Really? Yeah. So, I mean, it's tight. There are, they're like, I don't even want to say numbers because I don't have a good estimate, but there are like, I think there are hundreds of thousands of people that go every day. So, I, so does that, okay. I'm not sure that I've even been to a state fair, Mm -hmm. to be honest. So, like, is that like once a year? Is that like, for a yeah, season. so it's like it ends on Labor Day weekend. Actually, Labor Day, I think, and then it's the two weeks before that. And so it's like the fairgrounds are in St. Paul, um, and they're like empty all year, but like it's this huge space, and there are it's like a carnival. I mean, there are like like a huge like theme park kind yeah. of thing, and then there's like a lot of food. I mean, it's like there's everything there. It's yeah. really cool. That's cool. Yeah, I that so like that's something that i really have to like do like i've been to like small like in the town that i grew up in here and like the chicago suburbs they have like it takes up like four or five blocks and like literally an alley basically where they set Mm -hmm. up a bunch of like machines and like fair stuff but like a proper like huge fair like especially like a state fair is something that I like have never really been to. So yeah, you should go to the Minnesota State Fair. It's worth it. It's pretty <laughs> cool. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. If we ever get to like travel again. Yeah, that's that is the kicker. <laughs> so is that is that like one of your favorite things that you do like growing up? Um. 
you know actually one of my it's funny that today is may day um but one of my thing favorite things growing up was um another really cool thing about minneapolis is the the may day celebration it's like um like the biggest event in in the city i mean i would say it's like maybe even more widely celebrated than like the holidays like christmas or anything it's it's a huge deal um and basically like all of the like like hippies like the like really super super dirty hippies come out of like <laughs> the cracks and crevices of the city like didn't even know that they were there and um there's like this uh place that um this like theater company this really weird hippie theater company that makes like paper mache floats and like costumes and stuff and so they spend the whole year doing that and then they have like this huge parade and like a festival afterwards and there's like a pageant like they row the sun across the lake to like bring in spring um or summer i don't know which one but and then there's like a very like revolutionary pageant afterwards about usually about you know like climate change and like capitalism and that kind of stuff and it's it is very cool so So, that was one of my favorite things growing up that's that's cool so like is there a lot of hippies over there oh yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and and that's one of the things that i'll have questions about later um pretty much like some of those things but so like all right so one of the things that i'm like really interested in is like who people were in high school because like a lot of the time you see people are either exactly the same person they used to be in high school but like with like bills or kids (laughs) or they're like completely different like okay you know so like did you like fall into any like social circles or like how were you back then um I would say I'm very I would say I'm I'm similar to who I was in high school, but I'm, like, the more, like, mature, better version of myself now. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, you know, I was kind of a brat in high school. Like, <laughs> looking, like, I had a great time in high school. I mean, I, you know, like, partied a lot and, yeah. like, did dumb shit and whatever. But, um, like, I feel like I am very similar to who I was I just like grew up and learned to like be you know a better friend and that kind of thing yeah like I was really obnoxious in high school and anytime (laughs) I run into anyone that I used to know back then they they pretty much tell me so like that's how they remember me being like really loud and obnoxious (laughs) um but (laughs) I I've pretty much like pretty much the same i i don't know i'd say the same thing like i'm pretty much the same person but just a little bit more cautious i guess for mm-hmm. me personally yeah um but some people just completely reinvent themselves and yeah you know that's one of the things like do you feel like how how do you feel you've you've like what, what would you say was one of the biggest like growths for you in terms of like from who you were then and who you are now. I honestly, I feel like as soon as I 
turned 25 um and like my prefrontal cortex was developed (laughs) um like everything just like like I stopped doing dumb things you know like I I started like realizing the consequences of my actions and like started like realizing more like the impact that I had on people um and just like being more reasonable and that kind of stuff like I think I think most of the way that I have grown is just like being more responsible like both like just in terms of like operating in my life and also in terms of like being a responsible like friend or family member or just like person in society you know yeah yeah i would okay i'm i'm like exactly the same i was pretty much like the same person till i was about 25 Do, what, what would you say to someone who's who's like in that age range like who's in like high school and because you know at that age you're pretty much like convinced that you've like figured it out yes and at a certain point you know like when you talk to people like that you're like holy shit like you're really far behind and you don't realize it and like you almost can't really make any headway with people yeah but you know that like they have like another seven ten years before they really could be mm-hmm. like have full judgment mm-hmm. like what what would you say to people that are that age that would listen to someone like your age oh talking about this i don't know i mean and i think that this is like like this is why i could never work with youth or like <laughs> young adults because they're dumb like they just do dumb things <laughs> and like they just don't want to listen and i i think that it's it's there's very little that you can say to them I think they just have to like figure things out through the consequences of their actions you know what I mean you just let nature take its course yeah. <laughs> and hope for the best yeah yeah no I that was me I there was wow. nothing you could possibly have told me that would have made me do anything uh, like other than how I was gonna do it yeah so because <laughs> I mean, you know I feel like younger people are also just really stubborn too like yeah yeah, yeah no, I was convinced. I, I was convinced I had it figured out. Yeah. Um, so I mean, that's funny because, like, so then you know, you you went to college. Did you go to college straight after high school? Yeah, I did. Um, what was your initial like plan? Honestly, I didn't have one. I mean, it it was kind of just like I was expected to go to college. You know, it was just like it was never a question that I would not go to college, like ever ever since my you know just growing up that was always the expectation so i did certainly did not have a plan <laughs> so you just kind of were going through the motions of what you were supposed to do yeah exactly so i mean you went from college like how how did you how did you like college when you oof um so i I really appreciate my education. I I think, and especially now that I'm in grad school and I, we can talk about that later, but it's, <laughs> my classes are, it's horrendous. Um, and, and I now realize like how good of an education I got in college and I really appreciate that. Um, but overall, I, I don't know, it, it wasn't a great experience for me. I went to, so I went to Marquette in Milwaukee my freshman year, um, and I transferred after a year because it, it was really not a good experience. Like, I don't, I mean, I, I, you know, I grew up middle class, possibly like, you know, 
not upper middle class. I we were middle class, but solid middle class. Yeah. You know, never had any, never really like was uncomfortable or anything like that. So I had yeah. a very privileged upbringing. Um, but as soon as I got to college, I just started to feel really uncomfortable um, because like for the first time I I was kind of like the other in a lot of ways. Like I was a lot poorer than all of the other people I went to school with. Um, I mean, there's this girl on my on my floor freshman year whose dad gave her a, um, an allowance of a thousand dollars a week. <laughs> That's um, nice. So that was like that was like kind of what I was dealing with, um, and also like everybody was really conservative, and I just nobody had like the same views about life that I did, um, and so I appreciated it because it helped me solidify like my thoughts and views and like. Um, I think it was really kind of instrumental, but it was not a good experience. And so then I transferred to um, St. Olaf College, which is like in the middle of nowhere in Minnesota. Um, and it was actually where both of my parents went. And it's a very, very, very uh, Norwegian, um, mm-hmm. white, rich school in Minnesota. And, and that was like, you know, technically like the culture that I grew up in, you know, my parents are both, uh, like Swedish. And, um, so it was like comfortable in that sense, but not really in terms of just like, I just didn't feel like those were my people kind of, you know? Um, so yeah, I mean, but like my, I majored in sociology. Um, and I, that was I love that was like my place like once I started learning about all of those things everything just kind of like made sense and I I realized that that was kind of my passion um so I did appreciate that how how did you start on that subject I don't know I think actually I think my mom majored in sociology when she was in college and so when I was like trying to choose classes I think she suggested that I I try taking a sociology class and so I did and it was at Marquette it was it was honestly problematic (laughs) like it was like sociology from like a very conservative lens but you know I I wish I could remember the specifics more um but like I we definitely learned some so have have you heard like the broken window theory basically like if you live in a neighborhood that's i guess you know dilapidated so to say like that it just kind of brings everyone down that's kind of what i understand like like that like yeah dilapidation can be like the cause of crime because people don't care about their neighborhood um yeah so so that's that's I don't agree with that at all. Mm -hmm. Um, But my professor, I remember, was, like, teaching us about, like, he he referenced that theory a lot um, and, like, was a proponent of that theory. Um, And I just remember thinking that was weird. Um, I There was another, I think we read, like, The Blind Side as one of our books. You know, I mean, it just kind of, like, just a lot of like maybe color blindness and like it just wasn't very like it wasn't very critical you know um and uh what was another thing it was just a lot of like blame the victim kind of stuff too Mm -hmm. um 
I think that my professor was like a little bit racist and it was just a weird experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had, I had a racist teacher in seventh grade. Uh-huh. He was like a Vietnam veteran biker. Like he would show up in his Harley every day to school and his leather jacket or vest. And he would like legit like pick on like the one black kid like in the neighborhood I was in we were like mainly Hispanic mm -hmm. um and yeah he would like make really condescending comments towards him and his I reading abilities saying. yeah I don't know how he got away I mean I guess it was like what 2001 two something like that we were a little more okay then but still yeah no like I, I'm just guessing because there was no way that the other teachers and faculty didn't know because all the students knew he was not mm -hmm. low-key about it yeah um but yeah, yeah I get you what so I mean in terms of your favorite parts of college and your least favorite which I mean what would you say those would be um my favorite parts were honestly like my like my classes that I took in my major um I really really enjoyed those a lot um it was kind of life it was life-changing you know like the, mm -hmm. the stuff that I learned was it was really it was life-changing um my least favorite part I don't know I mean I guess maybe just like socially that was my least favorite part um was just that I never really felt like I found my like people in college um yeah. because and and I don't know if it was because they weren't there or because I was like so stuck on like my high school friends um and like my high school friends will be my lifelong friends you know yeah. like there's no doubt about that and so I left most weekends to go see my friends because most of them went to school in in Minneapolis or St. Paul. Um, so I was, I was home a lot. I didn't really try to make a lot of friends in college. Um, but I think partially just because I knew that I had this friend group anyways. So what you hate about college? Like what, what was, did I hate about it? Yeah. What was your least favorite? <laughs> um, that's a, that's a hard question. It has to be I like one or two things. Like, so like particularly at, Marquette I mean I just I hated yeah. I hated the whole I hated the people that went there to be honest <laughs> yeah. like they were just like so stuck up and rich and it just made me really uncomfortable yeah um so you know if it was like a little bit less less like that it was a lot it was less showy I guess yeah um but like it still I don't know I just I just never really felt like I fit in and that was a weird experience for me because I'd never I'd never experienced that before was this the point that you how how did you end up working at shelters um so I I think just like because of like the stuff that I was learning in my classes and, and probably also partially like how I was feeling just like, like othered a little bit. Um, yeah. you know, I, I just realized that like, I want, I really wanted to like work to kind of do whatever I could to dismantle these like systems of power, you know? Um, and like, I don't want that to sound too like a white guilty because that's not, <laughs> yeah. that's not like where I was coming from in that. It was more just like, like I, I can't imagine myself in a job where I'm not like doing something 
for the good of society you know what i mean like or at least trying like yeah i don't know how i came to working working in a shelter i think maybe just like i mean i you know homelessness was kind of like a thing that was like gaining a lot of footage and footing and whatever at that time and um i don't know so so i just i ended up working at like a family shelter at the front desk um right out of college and i hated it (laughs) um well they they were just like they just treated people really badly there um and so I just and also like it just like wasn't very fulfilling you know like I was just like giving people diapers um and like people would talk to me about their problems but there's nothing I could do so I was just like working at the front desk so um I decided I wanted to start doing case management so I got a job um working as like a family case manager at this the agency where I worked for like uh like I think like five years right before I moved to Chicago. Um, and that was hard working with families because it was just really chaotic. And, um, again, like a lot of the, um, the people I was working with were young adults and they, they just did stupid things. And like, you couldn't, like, (laughs) it was hard to like have a conversation with them about their, the choices that they were making because they just like, didn't really get it, you know? So, so first for like, I guess for some of the people that are less familiar with what a case manager is, mm-hmm. um, how would you describe your responsibilities as a case manager? And like, what would you tell somebody who doesn't know what a case manager does? So I would say like housing case management ends up being kind of a catch-all for everything you know i mean because you're you're helping people so essentially what you're doing is um you're supporting people in like working through the barriers that have held them back in the past that are related to their housing um and so like that really means everything you know i mean or it can mean everything like there's so many things that are that are barriers in people's lives or that are related to housing. Like, cause you live your whole life in your house. And so it like encapsulates all of that. Um, most of what I would do is, is just helping people like make sure that their benefits are active. Um, so that like they can pay rent, um, you know, like employment, uh, what else like going to the food shelf um mental health like medical stuff like that kind of stuff but like and so that's the majority but but it also is just so much more than that too I mean you know you do end up being kind of an unofficial therapist and doing just weird things with people that are just you know just random weird things um it's the most fun job because there's just so much variety in it. You know, you said you, you were working with families at first Mm -hmm. and it was chaotic. And I wouldn't, so what, what's when you do case management for a family, Mm -hmm. how does that differ from like what you described seems to be more for like individuals? How do you manage a family? Um, see that's the thing like it's hard because you're you're talking about so many relationships you know like you're 
you know, probably focusing mostly on the head of household, but like if they're dating somebody like you're that factors in and then, you know, however many kids they have, like you're, you're having to, to figure out how to deal with all of those relationships. Um, so it can be up to, you know, what, like 16 relationships in that you're having to manage. What was, okay. (laughs) I didn't even think about that. What was the biggest family you had to deal with? Um, there was one family that was, it was 10 people. It was, uh, two parents and eight kids. And so were these people that you, that were in a facility or they were out in their own housing? Um, so they would actually, they would be staying at the, at the shelter that I first was working at out Mm -hmm. of college. And then, but then this agency, like you would come in and meet with them in shelter and stuff and like help them do like a housing search and everything and take them to showings and help them apply for housing and all of that. Um, and then once they were in housing with the families, this program I was working with, with families, it was a short term subsidy so they would get a subsidy of like i think it was up to 600 bucks which is honestly nothing um and it was only six months long and then they would supposedly have you know increased their income so much that they could afford the housing fully on their own after that which was not the case and that was also part of the reason why I had a hard time doing that job because I, i just didn't feel like i was i felt like i was in the end like helping people to get an eviction on their record instead of like really helping them you know yeah so you went to college you ended up working at the shelter did you then decide to go back to college is that when you moved how did you end up in chicago um so yeah so i was i did the family case management and i switched to single adult case management and i did that for a while and then and i really loved it um but i realized that like i wasn't it was going to be hard for me to like do do anything really more than kind of just like entry-level case management um i don't know i i also just like i i think i got more interested in like mental health case management like medical case management all these things and realized that I was going to need a degree to, to do anything more. Um, and so, and also I, I was kind of feeling like I was suffocating a little bit in Minneapolis and I, I kind of needed an out, but didn't know how to do that. And so school seems like a, a very good, but very expensive option. Um, so, and, and I had kind of already decided I wanted to move to Chicago, but I just like, didn't know, how that was all going to work. So it kind of just all fell into place. I decided to go back to school um, and and go to school in Chicago. What made you want to go to Chicago? Um, you know, kind of that thing about how, like, it's Minneapolis's cool yeah. older, <laughs> older sibling. Yeah. <laughs> so how was that move? Like, what's what are the main differences that, that you've noticed? And, yeah, like, how's, how's that been in terms of moving and living here? Um, the, the move was fantastic. I have, I already have like, so my, one of my very best friends who I've known since elementary school lives here in Chicago and she's lived here for a couple of years and she has a, a huge friend group here, like a really strong friend group. And so I kind of just like fell into that, which was fantastic. It was, it was really great. And then, yeah, I mean, 
I really like Chicago. I mean, it, it just seemed like such an easy transition from like Minneapolis. Like it was, it was like exactly what I was looking for. Um, the interesting thing, like in terms of like housing and homelessness and stuff is that so Minneapolis weirdly enough is like widely known as like the, the best homeless services in the country. Um, it's been interesting to just see how things are done very differently between Minneapolis and Chicago. Obviously it's hard in Chicago because there's just so many more people. Um, but like I see a lot of gaps in the way that things work here. So, so that's one of the questions that I had in terms of you moving is kind of like a two part thing. Like how do you feel that Chicago is falling short in terms of social services? So, I mean, it's hard to know fully because I've like, I haven't even been here for that long and I know there's still so much more that I, that I need to learn. Um, but one thing I do know about like Minneapolis is that, so the agency I was working at has a street outreach team, um, that is like doing constant outreach to people that are sleeping outside. Um, and I, I know that Chicago has a little, has some of that. I mean, I know I've heard of like the night ministry, and like other agencies that do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But in Minneapolis, they have like, they have like a running log of like all of the people who are sleeping outside and, and like the entire County is like coordinating around those people and trying to make sure that they're getting services. So the chances are when you see somebody who's sleeping outside in Minneapolis, they probably have a case manager or at least somebody who's like trying to engage them in services. And I think what it seems to be in Chicago is that there are, there are still people who are like slipping between the cracks or like flying under the radar. Are people generally like, how, how do people treat homelessness over there versus here? Um, it's, it's less visible. Um, there are like, it's, there's just not as much of it Mm -hmm. visibly outside. Um, here, I mean, it's, it's kind of insane. Like, you know, walking over by, um, like Michigan Ave and all that, like there are a lot of people that are outside and I don't know if they live outside or if they're just there signing. Um, but like people just walk right past them like you know there was there was a couple months ago i was over there and some woman who didn't have legs like had a she was signing um and her sign blew away in the wind and she was like crying and like asking for somebody to help her and like people were just walking right past her they didn't even like acknowledge that that had happened and i went and gra- grabbed her sign and like brought it back to her but it was just it was just really that was very interesting i mean i i think people get desensitized here because it's more visible i mean so so what do you i mean apart from it just being more visible what do you attribute that to do you think it's just kind of people's like mechanism to just not be deeply affected like just kind of feeling helpless to being able to help so they just kind of keep going or where do you think that comes from i think that's part of it i also think that it's people like not wanting to like get themselves in too deep you know Mm -hmm. like if they do something like are they going to ask me for more you know like I don't I don't want to like sign up for more than I can handle kind of and like I don't know this person and I don't I don't know if I can trust them you know yeah 
yeah oh so i mean i know that you probably feel like personally invested in like helping right like situations like this but Mm -hmm. ideally how much of that do you feel is people's responsibilities in terms of like intervening or trying to at least stop and and see where the person is and it's i know it's like a kind of like a complex question but just ideally like how how yeah how do you feel about like how much of it there is that people just ignore it and like how much of it would you like to see that change like oh my god that's such a complicated question i mean i think like i think that housing is a human right you know like i don't i don't think that people should have to be sleeping outside Mm -hmm. if if they want to be in housing you know and most people want to be in housing there are very very few people who who want to be sleeping on the street in the winter you know Mm -hmm. um but and like it's so obvious that like like the reasons why people are homeless and why people are poor is like it's not personal choice you know like it's just and i know that like our our society like that's that's the whole message is that it's it's a choice it's pull yourself up by your bootstraps and all that um and and so it's like all of these systems that are like like really making that happen but then it's it's hard to like like okay for example my brother at one point who lives in he does not live in minneapolis anymore but he did um at this point and he was talking about so he's he's he is a radical hippie (laughs) my brother is (laughs) um he was like living in like a commune type like situation at this point um like a housing co-op kind of thing um and like there was a dude who he would see in his neighborhood who was like signing um and my brother approached me because he had decided that he was going to ask this guy if he wanted to live in their house um and he wanted to know like my thoughts about that and i was i didn't know what to say i mean technically that's the right thing to do right yeah but like who knows what this guy's background is or like who knows like I mean, you're, you're, you're letting somebody into like your living space and like, you don't know what's going to happen, you know? So I don't know. It's, it's like, we are, it's like both things. Like we are, we need to step up and like be community members and like be compassionate towards each other. But also like, there's just always this underlying, like, even if I don't believe in, you know, capitalism and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and all of that like there's still this underlying like personal responsibility and like keeping like protecting your own resources thing that like influences my reactions to that kind of stuff which i hate that like so housing first for example like i agree with housing first i think housing first is a, a really good way of operating um but it assumes that like there is a unlimited housing stock you know what i mean like it assumes that like you can burn out landlords like by people you know doing things that in their apartments that might get them evicted and that that's okay and that you'll be able to rehouse them you know um and that's not the case and so like there there are like consequences to housing first you know and 
I mean, I think harm reduction, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of harm reduction, but it's hard. And, and I think you have to be like, really, I think you have to be very well trained in harm reduction. And also like, we're only humans. Like I, I get really tired sometimes, you know, like it's, it's really hard to be patient all the time and to like, like, it's hard to not want to argue with somebody when they're, when they're doing something that you don't agree with or like be like unconditionally supportive of like behaviors that you don't think are in their best interest. Um, so I guess I'm not really answering the question, but I think my answer to that is that like, like none of them are perfect. And so I think that like, I think that all three of those that you named are really important to use, like in combination with each other. Yeah. I I mean, you were, you were answering the question perfectly because, um, just kind of going down, down the different elements of, of each one, they can't need, none of them can be the, the final solution for like, like the problem because, Mm -hmm they all address different things and yeah just assuming that housing someone will help them without taking care of like you know you know potential mental health issues or Mm -hmm. you know like employment history uh things like that if they're gonna be you know relying on on employment or anything like that and then to just focus on mental health would also not work because there's also people who who just kind of need like vocational training or more mm-hmm. more employment based like focus yeah. so i i think i mean no i think you're you're making a great point um and it's a conversation that that we've had before in terms of like what helps best because every what is it like every like five to six years they like completely revamp and say oh we're gonna end homelessness this way now yeah (laughs) um and it's always like no this is the way to go and then like so shelters and other services end up kind of redesigning how they function Mm -hmm. and really causing issues instead of just kind of integrating different elements from each approach Mm -hmm. um which is more of the the where, where, where we seem to be getting to now just from when I started and I just started six years ago, I saw the change go from like strict housing first focus, like no tolerance for no, no harm reduction elements of any kind, like, and just seeing a change from harm reduction from, from that to harm reduction. And now a lot more focus on mental health. Like it seems that all different elements are still being maintained while evolving, Mm -hmm. you know, pretty rapidly because it felt like when I first started, it felt like there was no, not a lot of change. But now it seems that, like, there is, so. Yeah, and I think it also helps that, like, just, like, housing and homelessness is kind of like a, it's kind of like a, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Like, it's like a hot topic right now, you know? Like, like people, it's like a buzzword, kind of. Mm -hmm. And so, like, I think that it's getting a lot of attention, and it's also getting, like, a lot of money, too. Not not as much as it needs, obviously, but, like, people are willing to fund um, housing stuff right now because everybody's talking about it and and it's interesting to to think of it this way too because you know the same at the same time like while while it becomes more prevalent and in people's faces some people become desensitized a lot of people do become more active in in like combating some of the issues that are like related mm-hmm. to to homelessness and you know because a lot of the time it's not even necessarily care right per se it's just more we need to figure out what we're going to do about this problem. Yeah. Um, 
but you know at the same time like being on the ground and dealing with these issues like i guess it doesn't matter why the money's coming it just matters that it that it is coming but it's important that like the people that are pretty much like the recipients of these of, of these funds and things like that like the people on the ground are doing what they're supposed to Mm-hmm. And that's that's like a big issue because these services aren't properly funded, so they can't right. always hire the right. best people for the job. Yeah. And also, like, you know, when there are, like, grants, like, a lot of funding is, it's, like, based on certain criteria that mm-hmm. you have to meet. And it's, like, dictated by somebody who probably doesn't really know fully what they're doing like they either did this work like a long time ago and have been so many years out of it that they're kind of out of touch or it's somebody that like thinks that they know what's going on but have never done this work and and they're just kind of like making decisions based on their own perceptions of things yeah i I found that too that there's a lot of people on the operational level like on the ground like a lot of people that are in higher positions that have never had like direct services like experience Mm -hmm. so they've never sat there on a day-to-day basis and gotten to know the people that they're trying to serve so i mean sometimes people come in a little too strong and are trying to to do the most (laughs) basically when 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 they and not understanding some of the boundaries they're supposed to have yeah. And then sometimes people are completely detached and they just let everything kind of fall where it may. And, yeah. you know, and um, like, I think we've talked about this before, too, but like how um, like development of, you know, for nonprofits is essentially like marketing poor people and people of color so that you can get like more funding. So, you know, you're like marketing like the things that you think that people will give money for and it's just like this really uncomfortable thing yeah i've I've had that conversation yeah we've had that conversation i've had it with other people because i've worked at various shelters it's always interesting to see how things are presented um and and the gap between Mm -hmm. the reality right and you know what what's what's shown but then at the same time like well it's money well you wonder you wonder how how much of the experience the people that are funding really want to be a part of right like Mm -hmm. it's it's kind of like something we touched on earlier like what is people's involvement right like um some people don't do anything to help um to do the part that they could do and some people do what they can some people do more than 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 they have to mm-hmm. so you know like i i've i've always tried to look at that with with that perspective of like all right these people aren't gonna come down here and 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 like really be in there with yeah. the people that are, are are on the grounds but like they're doing their part and i and and, and it's it, it's good and i wish people I don't know if it's like people just need to be incentivized or people need to be exposed to some of it a little more to be more mm-hmm. proactive. But I'm a big believer that like we are our brother's keepers and we do have a certain responsibility to each other. So like mm-hmm. and I and I'm one of those people that like I like to see like the ugly like truth of things, you know. Yeah. But that's probably cuz I'm kind of fucked up or whatever. <laughs> 
Um, I mean, I feel though that that's like, like I feel the same way, you know, that like, that's what, that's one of the things I love the most about, about social work and about like this, like case management and this job is that like, like discovering some of the people you work with are, you know, they, they look a certain way or whatever. And like, you don't, but you really get to know them. Like they're like, they're, they're kind of rough around the edges sometimes, but like, I just love when people surprise you when it's kind of like a, you know, don't judge a book by its cover type of type of person. Even, I don't know if that's a weird thing to say, but yeah, I like, I, I feel like that's, that's like the gray area I was talking about is that like, yeah, I mean that just like people, I don't know. People can be lots of things and like, it's, it's just, it's just not like people are not black and white, you know, like in terms of like who they are, Yeah, Um, they're not like good or bad. Like they can be, and usually are both. And, and I just like love exploring that as like somebody who's working with people who have just like really been through the ringer. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, you do run into like you know in terms of like staff and the people that are willing to jump into this like environment like you're gonna have a lot of people that have lived through a lot of it right Mm -hmm. and because that's how you build the tolerance to it like if you're not exposed to it it could be intimidating and counterintuitive to like what most people see you know when when they come from privilege and and see choices like the people that treat addiction like simply just a choice right mm-hmm. um and and they don't understand it because they've never had those demons they've never had to see that personally mm-hmm. um and they don't know kind of like how someone can actively like work against themselves and be on the right path and then suddenly like fall off and how how that looks and when you're mm-hmm. dealing with someone like that as a case manager or counselor or psychologist, like any of these fields and you make all this progress with someone and then they just make some choices that just reverses it. And that's, you know, choices. Like, I mean, people will see those as choices, but like a lot of the time they're not right. And, mm-hmm. and it's, it's something that I don't think people understand. And it would be nice if, if people, had a better understanding of how how those things worked at least experienced it or saw it because i think it would change how how a lot of people treat the issue and each other and it seems that all of these ideas that come as solutions to the issue come from people who who aren't able to see it and really totally have that perspective to to help it right yeah and like technically i know i am one of those people too and like i'm i'm very very cognizant of that um and like i think so i just watched this this really interesting documentary the other day um can't remember the full title but it was it was on amazon prime and it was called white savior something about like the racism in the American church or something like that. I think that was what it was called. Um, But it was really interesting because it was talking about just like this idea of the white savior, like in terms of mostly in terms of um, like religion, um, like Christianity, but how, but I, I was also able to like relate it to like this, you know, concept of white savior in like a larger sense too. Um, but just like how like 
our concept of like race and I mean just like all of this stuff about like like manifest destiny and like we we know what's right for you and like we're gonna bring that to you and we're gonna tell you what to do um and like that that like has leached out into like everything and I I think that that is a huge part of this uh field too is it's oh it is a lot of white people telling people what to do um and that i think that's a huge problem um and i i think that that's like that's one thing that i have to like check myself about constantly is like is this is this like what the client is choosing like are they are are they is this what they want or is this just like my my values that I'm imposing on them or like my ideas or like what I think that success should look like for them. Like, do they actually agree with that? You know? Yeah. And so, I mean, so how, how do you usually deal with that? You know, like working with someone, like how do you usually try to find where, um, and I, and and this is like, I think very differently about some of these things, but like, how do you feel that you approach like having privilege and being informed and like the decisions that you make or like guide the, the, the person with like how, how do you balance those two things or how do, how do you try to become informed or receptive or have what you see as your privilege not affect I guess the situation um, negatively I mean I, I feel like it's like a constant constant like back and forth like checking yourself like like monitoring your intentions behind everything, you know? Um, and, and like, just like making, I don't know. I mean, I I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'll ever figure that out. You know what I mean? Like, it's like something that I'll always have to be really working on, but like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think like, I think there are things like, for example, like motivational interviewing, um, or just like making sure that like the way that you're talking to people is helping them is like is like facilitating their ideas like coming to light kind of or like that that you're not like being overbearing and like making decisions for somebody yeah like just kind of helping someone realize their version of what success is to them you know like just guiding them in the right direction to accomplish that what they think is good for them yeah um and so you know like one of the one of those terms that we're familiar with but some people might not be is motivational interviewing which is Mm -hmm. um i mean what what's your perspective on that just briefly like what does that mean to you um motivational interviewing is is like a it's like a process of like working together with somebody to help them figure out what their what their goals are that they might not like know or their goals and then like work towards that so it's like a very like client driven yeah i don't know what else, what what else do you have to say about it i don't think i'm covering it well yeah just just meeting someone where they're at um and not imposing what your version of progress is onto them yeah um just kind of seeing what their values are what their goals are and more or less guiding them in the healthiest way possible, I guess, to accomplishing those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I think actually the, um, one of the things where like one of the parts of it, the definition of motivational interviewing is like a way 
of being with someone. Mm-hmm. That's like part of the definition. And I love that. I mean, I, I think it's like, it's about the, you know, the, the way that you say things to people and the way that you communicate, but it's also about like your presence and like you, the nonverbal cues and all of that too. Yeah. You know, like a lot of this is, is kind of affected by people's personal approaches. And like, we've talked a lot about like, you know, like who you are as a professional and like the, it's, I bet, you know, kind of like a student and all of that, but pretty much like towards the end, I like to just kind of get to know the person and just some questions that I have like around that. And, um, one of them, which is like, so you're, you're a social worker mm-hmm. and that means that you have to be very receptive, very kind of more, um, you're more like taking in more than you are kind of like putting out in that sense in terms of Mm -hmm. socially and just your approach generally when at least when you're at work there's Mm -hmm. just a lot of like all right you know you're you're more passive i suppose Mm -hmm. um and i don't know how much of that bleeds into your personal life but like what's one of the biggest misconceptions about you (laughs) you know that's really interesting like i've never thought about it that way but that's it's very accurate and i think i think that that's um that's actually maybe leads to like one of uh, like a misconception about me, I guess is, is I think that I, until I know somebody or until I have like something to talk about with somebody, like I come off as kind of shy and quiet um, and maybe just like super nice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I, I think I'm just, I'm usually just like kind of taking it all in and I wouldn't say, I mean, I I guess I'm nice, whatever, but like, you know, it's not (laughs) like, I wouldn't say that that's like my full personality. I mean, I, I can be very, very stubborn and difficult too. It just is kind of like context related. Are you, so are you just are you just guarded around people when you first are around like meet them yeah i think so i mean i I think like i don't know and i think there are like settings in which i feel maybe more more confident or like more able to like express myself in certain ways like i think at work you know i mean like i don't know i guess like one one way that i would describe myself is that i'm like a very fierce advocate for like what I think like the things that I think are right and so I guess maybe I just feel really really passionate about like this work and so maybe that's why like at work or at school um I'm pretty outspoken um but I would not say that I'm outspoken like always all right so I mean being outspoken will kind of get you like I guess in some hot water or just kind of make certain people just kind of more aware of you and like not a positive way yeah what would you say is like the how, how would you say your worst enemy or someone who really dislikes you would describe you like what would they say about you <laughs> i mean i would probably just related to that like just like being too pushy or like just like fighting too hard for or like being too intense you know yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean when i so like there's there's just a couple questions that i really pretty much intend on asking everybody and one of them was gonna be like oh well what what would like the people that love you or like whatever say about you but i was like uh-huh. eh, i guess you know like i feel like some of that will just kind of come out in in someone's like interview and conversation right yeah. like kind of that that aspect of their personality 
but I think it's interesting. One for like seeing someone's self awareness, and two for like just yeah, like what 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 would someone that hates you say about you? Like I like that question. I've never <laughs> like that was a that was a very it was a hard question to answer, and also just a really interesting question to answer. So, speaking of people that like might potentially dislike you, how do you <laughs> deal? So in in your in your field, like I'm sure a lot of interactions that you have are difficult and you've probably learned a lot of patience doing what you do and you know and studying what you've studied but like how do you deal with like difficult people um in your field and personally too like how much of what you've learned in your field can you apply to like you know IRL I guess yeah i mean so like one of the coolest things that i learned from my last boss at my last job um was like sometimes people are like in a war with their landlord you know because their landlord is acting like an asshole and trying to get them kicked out Mm -hmm. um and they're like trying to prove what their landlord is doing but they're really just aggravating their landlord um, and like in a housing market like this, that's dangerous. Um, yeah. And so he would always say to people, do you want to be right or do you want to be housed? And it sucks that it comes down to that, but sometimes um, sometimes you just have to not be right. You know, like sometimes you just have to, you have to know when you can't win and you have to just kind of let go of your pride. Um, and like I have, I've applied that so many times like I I've applied that to working with clients you know sometimes I check myself and I'm like oh I this is a pride thing like I am trying to push this on them or have them act a certain way because like that's what I had decided that I how I wanted this to go Mm -hmm. and I need to like just let that one go you know um and then also just yeah I mean you know with friendships or whatever you know you're in an argument with somebody and you realize that like you could win or but (laughs) if you win like you might you know really damage the friendship or something like that and it just might you have to kind of weigh weigh what you want out of it and yeah. and decide kind of what the the best way to go is on that it sounds like you might have had like an alternate reality where you're like a lawyer <laughs> it sounds like you always have like one up your sleeve <laughs> um, i don't think i could be a lawyer <laughs> <laughs> so so i mean well kind of speaking about that right like you're making a moral choice when sometimes you're arguing with someone or you're dealing with someone that's difficult you made a comment when uh i spoke to you you know like for the show prep like about the gray areas of life right Mm -hmm. and how you embrace it and Mm -hmm. i wanted to know how you find that balance and what that means to you so that's interesting how you interpreted it because i guess and i probably didn't clarify but like how i meant it was just like gray areas in terms of people like Mm. people not being like good or bad so like one of the things that i have really liked about like what i've learned from being a case manager is and i've already talked about this but about just like seeing not seeing people as good people or bad people that Mm -hmm. they're, they're both, you know? 
Um, and so I don't know. And I, I think that like, and, and situations too, you know, sometimes situations aren't good or bad. They're both. They just are. Um, yeah. You know, and that's, that's something that, that's interesting to me. How, what, what do you do to work with someone who might be, who you might otherwise never want to interact with or who you might find egregious because they're for whatever reason you might find them egregious like what do you do to like tell yourself like all right i gotta do this i mean it's it can be really tough. it can be really tough i know that you i know that you know too <laughs> i mean i know that there, you know there are people that i worked with when we were both at my internship that were very difficult people to like um and i don't know i mean i i think in that in that in in those circumstances i i just go back to like you know this is my job like it's my mm -hmm. job to help them yeah. um and like i'm doing this job because i care about sorry my cat is <laughs> in the way um like i'm doing this job because i care about this as a bigger picture kind of thing and so even if i don't like this person i still think they deserve housing and so like the, it's it's yeah it just comes down to more of kind of like a human rights kind of thing yeah it could be uh difficult but it's it's something that you you kind of have to do like at that point i guess you turn on the customer service yeah. aspect of the job and you just kind of go through the motions exactly yeah. um but and you know but i've also found that dealing with people like that challenge how you see certain things um and and you for better or for worse can understand where certain people are coming from who who you might find you know egregious problematic and oh yeah you know yeah, like i mean and and th so this is another like gray area example is like you know i've worked with like people who are registered level 3 sex offenders for example mm -hmm. and like they you know i i can't speak to like what they did in their past like it was messed up mm -hmm. um but do i think that they deserve to be sleeping on the street for the rest of their life because of that no um you know does it does it does it make them a fully bad person not necessarily i mean i, I think that this is like where there is gray area like i i don't know i mean maybe there are such thing as like like inherently bad people i mean mm -hmm. i don't really know like i don't know where you draw the line and i don't think that like having something on your criminal background is grounds to be labeled as like a bad person for the rest of your life yeah and yeah. And, and i yeah i agree with that like it's at the very least because there's just a lot of people that are just opposed to like well you can't help that person but you also have to think about what the alternative is i mean what do we do right like mm -hmm. whether it's someone that's killed or someone who who is a sex offender like on that level okay like we've just you know we, we've built these systems of like all right they've been incarcerated they're out whatever it is they're they're among us like how do we manage that even if it's not for the person's benefit right like some people can't get their heads around like helping someone like that right but for everyone else um that's harm reduction exactly right? yeah so so yeah, that's I mean, like, would you rather have them be in an apartment or would you rather have them be out on the street you mm -hmm. know like like possibly 
like roaming around and like interacting with a lot of people on a given night you know yeah yeah and and i think i think that that's part of you know like it's all of it is so it's so dynamic and and could be like really challenging but you know it's it all seems manageable as long as people are willing to at least consider things outside of things being just choices and people having to Mm -hmm. just take responsibility for themselves Mm -hmm. um you know like what part we have and and minimizing some of the circumstances that put people in those situations Mm -hmm. so i mean you know like just like kind of like starting to wrap up um what i know that one of the questions i asked you was um like what your contributions like to society are like that's something i like to ask you know on here um and you could just like briefly tell me that because i had a question related to that so i can't i i can't remember exactly what i said but hopefully making people's lives a little bit easier you know like just like and not that that's like my whole purpose that i serve i don't know that's why that's a weird thing to say <laughs> however i phrased it in the thing that you that i wrote was how i want to say it and i can't remember what i wrote <laughs> all right i mean i could like pull it up <laughs> <laughs> so what what you mentioned to me and and uh so like usually when when i am going to talk to somebody, somebody i like to just send them some questions that for them to answer so that i could just kind of so just to guide the conversation right and just to know what we'll talk about and where to take the conversation and one of the questions is um what do you feel is your contribution to society and you you said um treating people with dignity being fair hopefully making a difference in a small and validating i mean i'm sorry making a difference in small and validating interactions hmm. yeah so you still stand by that i do <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then the question related to that that I had was, do you have any advice for people who are struggling to see how they make a difference or who want to make a difference? Um. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, so like when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, you know, in terms of like a, a job and everything and like after everything I learned about like these systems, so you know in sociology like it seemed so unmanageable to me and I like knew that I wanted to do something but like working at a systems level seems so overwhelming and I still don't want to do that you know Mm -hmm. and so like I guess what came to me is working with people as individuals and like on a person-to-person basis and sometimes it, it feels really overwhelming when I think about just like the inequity and just like injustice that's happening on a systemic level but like I do know that like there are things that I can do to to and that I that I have done to make people's lives better on just like a daily basis you know like if somebody like that's the cool thing about case management is that you have like you're able to leverage things for people mm-hmm. that they wouldn't they wouldn't necessarily have otherwise and so it's it's like this weird position of power that you're in kind of you know yeah. and like you can you can do really good things with it though um and so like there i'm having trouble thinking of like of an example 
but even just like helping somebody get an apartment, like, you know, that might not be something, or it probably wasn't something they were probably referred to you because it's not something that they were able to do on their own. Um, and so just like getting somebody into housing, like that makes a huge difference, you know? Um, and like that's the kind of stuff that kind of keeps you going and like is like is like validating to yourself too not mm-hmm. that it's about me but like that's the, that's got the kind of stuff that like makes me feel good about what i'm doing yeah i mean because it, it it could be said like and and i include myself like we're we're lucky that we can get paid mm-hmm. to make whatever difference we can with the resources like we're afforded that's exactly the perfect way to put it yes (laughs) um and so pretty much like do you have any any last words anything that you'd like to impart or leave us with i don't think so (laughs) 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 i mean we've we've pretty much like touched on a lot of things that i feel are important and um one of the biggest reasons why i made this podcast i guess um it's with the idea that you know it it's important to break out of different cycles whether they be addiction poverty like you know mind frames or anything like that like i i wanted to to have this be part of my process of doing that and at the same time like highlighting people who in many different ways have done that themselves you know it seems like like you've done that yourself and like your journey from coming from i see if i say it minneapolis um and you know kind of like finding your way through these systems and like really you know there's a choice that people make sometimes um between and and whatever choice is made i don't know that one is better than the other um but there's people who choose to kind of come back down and work with the people who don't have you know the privilege and things like that and it's really important for someone to be willing to kind of like put that privilege you know to the side and to be able to do everything they can you know with 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 what they have and i think that that's one of those cycles that like you've broken um and it's really important because you're also helping people come out of all sorts of different situations and and that's like it's a beautiful thing and it's really important and that's like exactly what i want to be able to like i guess give a voice to and like express to people like these are just everyday people everyday jobs that are being done behind the scenes that are the efforts that we hear talked about right you mm-hmm. know and like everyone has a voice and you know some voices are seldom like heard you know and mm-hmm. it's important for me to like not so much like oh, i'm gonna find an author and i'm gonna find like someone who's selling something and like talk mm-hmm. to them like i want to be able to like have people that are out there every day just normal people doing their part you know and like making things better or sometimes worse i'll have i'm gonna have like all sorts of different people um on here but with the goal of like showing you know how they break these different cycles and you know i think it's been like it's been a great conversation yeah um yeah i thank you so much for having me i mean it's it's really i'm honored to be featured and also like i think that what you're doing is really cool so so thanks 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 for your time it's been great and like so do we like 
I, I always ask people for like social media and stuff like that. Like, are we going to be like, go, go see Annie, find Annie on Facebook? I don't think so. Right. <laughs> We're not very active on Facebook. I, right. I don't, I don't know about that one. And like, I would, but like, I don't want my Instagram to be um, yeah. <laughs> public. So, you know, I don't, it doesn't make sense to tell people about my yeah, Instagram. Like, <laughs> yeah. Go visit my Instagram and look at my blog and all right. No. So, yeah like um thanks a lot and like we'll we'll catch up with you like again at some point and see what's going on um maybe hopefully one of these days like when when me and my partner um that i'm doing podcasts with can put our studio together you can actually come in and like hang out that would be awesome Um, yeah but yeah it's been amazing and thank you so much yeah thanks angel thank you so much i'll talk to you soon all right okay Bye. bye Lost in the sauce, tween the womb and the bag. Folks with no drive, we call it Uber for that. Boomerang flavor, so I keep on coming back. I keep on coming back. I keep on coming back. People claiming hoods that they don't even know. Suck your stomach in, peep, pop, and then pose. The gram got hoes acting like they cinephones. I don't play that, my nigga. Just take my flick and go. On about your business, see, I'm back up on my grizzly. Barely getting by, but the Lord is my witness. Respect my tribe, I only rock with solid women. Paradigm shifters, rage against the system. Yeah, it's all love, homegirls know what's up. Real ones move in silence, but I don't bite my tongue. It's estrogen in mind, it got me caring too much. I rearranged a few things, it got my feng shui up. Front room with my cousin, thinking a master plus. Hold the world for ransom, better give me what you got. I ain't got time to be playing with y'all. Please remove the mess, say the shit for Mardi Gras. FaceTime it with my boots Why he gone? Conversation won't keep the John up in his drawers. The realization that we all must come to is you gotta let people do what they gon' do. So I'ma show love. Smoked either by the police or by a nigga more likely to be as Cody. 
same old streets. Only pros niggas know is what they dancing on. And to be honest, I don't know if they got the answers wrong. Why invest in this wicked system that traded plantations for prison? Nigga, we know the difference. They go punch painting pictures. I'm Sharif and Menace sitting on the freezer trying to keep niggas from destroying their liver, but they ain't listening either. But I still show love. Eu 